Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Previously on the Pure Hoops podcast. Uh, putting you on the spot, as we talked a lot about these Western Conference teams today. If you could pick one first-round playoff matchup to go seven games in the West and just be an absolute brawl of a series what's the matchup you'd want to see first round western conference yeah first round western conference Ooh, that is putting me on the spot um i would love to see the nuggets and the thunder Ooh. and the reason Good being one. is because the the Thunder are at a position, or I think the expectations is they, they are supposed to advance. I think right now people would say they are they have the talent. Maybe they're not as good as we thought they should be, you know, especially with, you know, the expectations of having a Russell Westbrook and a Paul George has raised the expectations of everyone. Um, you know, they are currently now, what, in the, I think the seventh seed. Uh, they, they're in speak. seven. So, yeah, if, so if the playoffs started in this moment, that is the matchup. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Episode 12, we are back. Eric Newman, BJ Armstrong. And BJ, each week a lot changes, but uh, your Denver OKC matchup has not. The Nuggets still at 2, the Thunder still at 7. The Thunder, of course, getting an unbelievable performance from Russell Westbrook the other night. 20-20-20 across the board. How excited are you that this uh, could still happen, my man? I think it would be a great, great matchup in the playoffs. Obviously, the Denver Nuggets have had an amazing regular season. And I'm excited, just as everyone else, to see how it translates into the postseason. And as we know, Russell Westbrook, who without question is a top five player uh, in this league, and what he was able to do the other night, 2020-20, speaks for itself. They have Paul George, who's a very capable scorer, getting 30 or 40 in a playoff series. I think it's a very dangerous team to be playing in the playoffs. And uh, I, think I, w- I think along with all of the other basketball fans would love to see this matchup, and I think it would be a great test for both teams because uh, they both have something to prove as everyone's trying to catch the Golden State Warriors at this point. Before I, I dig in with you a little bit more with the on-court, it takes a special kind of player to take something that's a real-world tragedy in their world, and I'm talking about uh, Nipsey Hussle and Russ going out and having that kind of a game to honor him. I mean, 
talk to me about what, what kind of a guy does it take to be influenced by something off the court that's a real life thing and to be able to channel that into something that's only been done once in the history of basketball. The dude had a 20-20-20 game and dedicated it to this very unfortunate incident and the, the tragic death of Nipsey Hussle. Well, you want to pay your respects and um, to, to the family, to his kids, and to what he stood for. And speaking of Nipsey and, and what he stood for and the things that he was doing in his life, not only for himself and his family, but in the community and his awareness and conscientious growth that you saw with this, this young man. And, and, of course, the, the story is well-documented and is very tragic, and we give our best uh, and to him and, and, and his loved ones. When, uh, what Russell was able to do first, you know, the, the 2020 speaks for itself. For him to have the, the, the effort and the energy to do something like that, I mean, that's an incredible effort. And, you know, like you spoke on it, it's only been done, what, one other time before? Yep. And I just think, you know, Russell brings the effort and energy every single night. And, you know, there's a lot um, that's talked about him, whether you like him or you love him. You know, I happen to be one of his biggest fans because of I know how difficult it is what he's doing, especially in today's era. Because in, in today's era, to play that position, the point guard position, you have to be able to score in order to play that position to keep everyone else honest on the other end because this league – you know, you have the Damian Lillards, you have the Steph Currys, you have so many, you know, players that you have to you have to keep them honest, the Kyrie Irvins. So what he's able to do, not only on the offensive end, the defensive end, and then be able to rebound at his position just speaks volume. But uh, the effort that he's bringing every night, that's just something either you have it or you don't. And he's one of those players that has the energy to do it every single time he steps on the floor. So with that being said, where they sit in the standings right now, which is at seven, right in between the Clippers and the Spurs, if you're Denver and, you know, watching Denver at Golden State earlier in the week and thinking about our conversation on our previous episode about who's going to be able to go get a big bucket for the Nuggets when the avalanche starts or they're in a tight spot and, you know, moving the basketball and playing as a team is great, but when somebody's got to go get a tough bucket, who's going to get it? And that's very that was very much on my mind watching them in a very challenging situation in Golden State. I mean, anybody that walks in there is, is, is bound to get their doors blown off, uh, especially with the Warriors feeling like they had something to prove to, to make some room in the standings. So my question for you on Denver is, who do, you, who do they want to see in the first round of the playoffs? Because we, we know it's not the Thunder. So what, what's going to give Denver the best chance to move on? The choices are Thunder, Spurs, and Clippers. Thunder, Spurs, or Clippers. If I was Denver, I, w- I would want to play the Spurs. I would want to play the Spurs. Because the Spurs run their offense through LaMarcus Aldridge. And a, a big is much easier to defend from a team perspective than it is from a wing player because you can put a wing player any, any place on the floor. Tim Duncan was an anomaly because Tim Duncan, even though he was a big, you could put Tim Duncan at the elbows because that's the only position you can't double-team a player at. 
and Tim Duncan yep. was skilled enough to play from the elbow in the playoffs, and he could and you be in isolation, and how you gonna double? Where are you gonna double him from when he's standing at the elbow? So, in the playoffs, it's a different ball game, and and I think Denver has to have the mindset of you know what we're in the playoffs, and this is an, this is a process for them. So they're in. There's no way uh, to go around it. They have to play the best teams, and. If I were them, I wouldn't be concerned with who I'm playing. But from a on paper, I would much rather play the Spurs because it's easier to defend. I wouldn't want to. Def- I wouldn't want to have to go against Russell Westbrook, for sure. Hell, for sure. hell no. Hell I, no. I, I, whoever I, I, whoever gets Westbrook in the first round, like you're going the distance. And and the the young players, the young players on the the, the Clippers are a problem because. They're just going to play with – what do they have to lose? No one's expecting the Clippers to be here anyway. So if, you, right. if you're in a series with the Clippers, they have veteran players that can score, and those guys are coming off the bench. And that, that forces your starters to play extended minutes. And as the series go, goes on and on further, deeper into the, to the series, game five, six, seven, that favors the Clippers. So if the Clippers are able to win a game or two on the road – I think the advantage goes to the Clippers because they have nothing to lose. They shouldn't be there in the first place. And, you know, I, I think they can play a little free. They'll play much freer than I think than the, uh, the Nuggets would at this time. Speaking of the Clippers, um, UCLA great and Clippers analyst uh, Don McLean um, had some interesting comments about James Harden's style of play. Um, almost questioning, does he, does he cheat the game? And I know that James Harden is not similar to Russell Westbrook. Um, he's similar to Russell Westbrook as he generates a polarizing feeling and response. So you either love Harden or you can't stand watching the Rockets play because of, because of how they play. What are your thoughts on Harden's style and obviously the way he's carried the team this season? Well, as I watch James Harden play, I have to watch it from the lens in which the game is played today. It's a new game. It's a new style. But more importantly, the rules are different. It's a, this is a different game. So if I was a player today and the rules were as such – I can't touch a player, <laughs> advantage offense. <Yep. laughs> I can't impede his progress, advantage offense. Yep. And what do they have? Eight seconds or so to get the ball over half court, correct? Or, 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 yeah, okay, eight so, seconds. So that's pushing the pace of the game. Okay, so if I was a player today, I would concentrate on three things. I would concentrate on shooting threes because the pace is, is going to be much faster. The pace of the mm-hmm. game is going to be much faster. So I would concentrate on shooting threes. I would take advantage of no hand checking. So if a player can't touch me, that means if I can work on my ball handling and be able to get from A to B, every great player who's ever played in this game can get from A to B with a dribble. That's what makes you a great player. Yep. Okay, so I would work on my ball you're getting, handling. You're getting, you're getting to where you want to go with your I pace. Would get, I, would, I would do that, and a player can't touch me, so that gives me an advantage on the offensive end. Okay, so I would do three things as a player. I would, I would shoot threes. I would drive all the way to the basket, 
which is which which takes out the mid 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 range game, and then I would mm-hmm. once I got to the basket, I would if I couldn't score it, I would look to get fouled. That's what I would do if I were playing today. Now, after saying that, that looks like James Harden to me. He's just taking advantage yep. of the rules of today's game. Now, if we, and that if, was my next question, and that was my next question. That, that's, can you fault a guy for taking advantage, advantage of the you, rules? You can't, those are the rules. The rules, the rules are encouraging players to play faster, which the league is. The rules are encouraging players to shoot more threes, which the league is. And the rules are encouraging players to either get all the way to the rim or shoot three, which eliminates the mid-range game. So I can't fault the game because that's what the rules say. Now, if I, if I was stuck in the way that I played the game and how I saw the game back then because the rules were different, yes, I understand that way of thinking. But in today's game, James Harden looked at the rules. The way that they play, I think, takes advantage of the rules. Is it probably a way that has, in years past, been the the best way to win games well no one's won a championship playing that way but no one's played under these rules and, and the team that's done it the most effective has been the golden state warriors and the only difference between them and the rockets in my humble opinion is that defensively they're a much better team than the than the rockets are but offensively the rockets have the firepower to play with anyone on the offensive yep. end and now it's just a question of their commitment on the defensive end that's going to give them the balance that they're looking for to be called a champion. So I can't fault James Harden for that. I think the rules are dictating the way these guys play. And as a player, as a person who's in the game, you have to look for every advantage. And James Harden is one of those players that has taken full advantage of the way the game is played because of the way he plays. I mean, his game is tailor-made for the rules today. He's an exceptional ball handler. He can shoot off the dribble. He's strong enough to finish at the basket. And he's a high-volume shooter who shoots a fairly high percentage from, from the three. So how could you fault the guy? So before we pivot off this, we saw a couple of weeks ago, and I hate using the term gimmick defense, right? It's all strategy. So we saw the Milwaukee Bucks against the Rockets. We saw them put Bledsoe, George Hill, Tony Snell at some points, rotating door of guys, right? They put them on Harden's left shoulder. And they basically said, we're going to give you the right-hand dribble, and we're going to give you the the driving lane. We are going to take away the step-back three, and you – just completely freezing us with your ball handling out there. So my question for you is, in the playoffs, are we going to see more of these inventive defenses? And I'm not talking about trapping pick and roll and hedge and recover. More of these inventive defenses like what Milwaukee did a couple of weeks ago against the Rockets. Well, I think everyone, when they see James Harden, when you see him during the regular season, there's just not enough time in an NBA preparation to prepare for a player who is shooting at such a high volume. I mean, yep. Th- James Harden basically is probably in every offensive possession, which is very rare for a team. I mean, James Harden has the ball 85 percent of the, the time. Guy. It's yeah, the guy. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's the it's the it's the highest usage rate we've seen aside from 
certain LeBron James seasons. Now the, the, it's it's yeah. ridiculously high. Yeah. So the, the and he's an exceptional offensive player. So it's not like he has the ball and he's just having it dribbling around. I mean, every time he has it, he's a threat on the floor. He he shoots it with range. He he finishes at the basket. High percentage free throw shooter. So he offensively he has the full package. Now, I think what teams will do in the playoffs because I, I I'm constantly like everyone else I'm playing couch you know I'm, I'm the coach sitting on my couch as well is I would begin to dictate what he's going to do and what I saw a lot of teams do in my era which baffles me is why not just blitz him just just go trap him just trap him don't worry about the other yep. players just go trap him which I think teams will do but more importantly I think teams should start playing defense from behind on him yeah. And what I mean by that is you chase him into areas. You don't worry about sending him right or left. This James Harden, like so many wonderful offensive players, they've seen every gimmick defense. So James Harden, at the beginning of every game, it's always funny to me. I, I, just watch, I, I wish I had that talent, but I played with a guy who had that type of talent. So at the beginning of the game, we just tried to figure out what you were doing, and once we figured out what you were doing, then we would figure out how to attack you, and then we knew that you couldn't make any counters to it because you were already – you had you, – that was your best move. So James Harden is now coming out playing with that attitude. Okay, what are you going to do? You're going to push me right. Then Mike D'Antoni calls a timeout and says, okay, guys, we're going to go play the opposite of what they're doing, and then now just go play. Now, the, 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 the thing that James Harden, I think, hasn't seen is – I'm just going to attack him. I'm just going to attack him. I'm not going to work. He's, he's a, he's a, the guy is going to score 30 no matter what. But if I can get him to score 30 out of sync, now I've done my job. Yep. And, and, and work really hard for it, yeah, which, which means not putting him at the line. I'm not putting him at the line. Which means not giving him yeah, open I threes. I would just go ahead. And, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yep. No, I, I was going to say at, attacking him and – the timing of, of, of doubling him and trapping him is interesting, too, because the shot clock can be used to the defense's advantage. There's only so much time to make a play passing out of a double team when you're four on three if the defense is really scrambling and recovering. I, so I, I, yeah. I, I, think, I think we have an interesting chess match in front of us, and what's interesting is also is they could see the Spurs or the Clippers uh, in the first round, and... Popovich and Doc Rivers are both known to be pretty good tacticians when it comes to things like this. So uh, that should be interesting. Pivoting to um, a team that won't be in the playoffs, the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, imagine us talking (laughs) about the Lakers. (laughs) (laughs) And I I know we've talked about it a lot. And um, I think I've been pretty well behaved as a Celtics fan for my entire life and not stomping the Lakers when they're down because every team goes through their up and downs. But I found, I found this both, and we talked about it a little bit with some of those player development things uh, uh, last week and the week before. I find it both uh, unfortunate because we don't get to see LeBron James making a playoff run in his first season with the Lakers, which of course would be exciting. But I also find some of this very alarming in terms of decisions and in terms of the way certain things have been handled uh, regarding uh, Luke Walton, front office, etc. So regarding Walton, everything we're hearing is that, you know, he's on thin ice. 
Jeannie Buss, the owner of the team, um, you know, is a fan, but she's not guaranteeing anything right now. Is this setting up Luke Walton being the fall guy in the LeBron James era in L.A.? Because just like when LeBron got to Cleveland, there was a coach there already who was not brought in to coach LeBron. I'm talking about David Blatt. And obviously Luke Walton was not given the Laker job just to coach LeBron James. They knew it was a possibility. Is is Luke Walton is Luke Walton set up right now to be a fall guy? What do you think? You know, Eric, that, that's that's a great question. And you know, I I look at key points as like pivotal points in the game. And I'm always having been a champion as a player in this league and, and played and worked in, in the league and you see the importance of leadership. You know, I think one of the pivotal points for the modern NBA is the leadership that Pat Riley has displayed in his time there in Miami. And when LeBron, when they first put together that, that team down there, that super team, you know, there was, some rock, there was a rocky start for that team. Yep. The expectations Not, were there. Nine and, nine and eight. In their first season, their first 17 first games, season. they were 9-8, and eight, and all of a sudden, Spoh's on the hot seat. Spoh's on the hot seat. And I watch with interest with the leadership because I, I'm, I, I'm a firm believer in leadership. And in today's sports, the leadership is so, so important because the players are coming in younger and younger. So where is this leadership going to come if the players are getting younger with no experience. So that means you're having to teach and do things that you probably would have learned somewhere else before you got to the league. But there's now you have to learn once you get up here. And going back to that, Pat Riley's leadership of handling that moment in time, nine and eight, what was going on? We're talking about Spo and what's going on. And I remember there was some chaos, meaning there was, you know, Things were swirling around. Pat Riley's leadership under that that environment to me set the stage of how you're supposed to lead. You know, you, you I'm going to put the pressure where the pressure has to be. The pressure has to be on the players to perform. That's the only way you can win in this league. You you can want to talk about great coaches. You can talk about great owners. The players are the only group that sits at the table that can actually affect the now, right? The coaches can't do it, the executives can't do it, the owner can't do it, the players. And if the players don't accept that responsibility, there's, it's a no-go. So Pat Riley's display of leadership gives us an gave us an opportunity to say, this is how it's gonna be done in the modern era. Regardless of who the player is or isn't, you have to okay. lead these young men and now I think this is an opportunity for the Lakers to do the same. This is a very teachable moment in my way of looking at the game. Now, so, we can put so the let blame. me ask you. Yeah. Let me ask yeah, you. Can, will 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 Magic Johnson, who obviously has learned a lot, I from think this Pat is Genie. This this has to be Genie Bus. This has so to this be is Genie. This this is this, this is, is Genie taking it upon a, herself, herself to make this yes, decision. The, the the leadership now in today's modern sports has to come from the top. Has to. The days are over now of an absentee owner. Those days are over. 
Okay, the, 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 that, that was yesteryear where the owner stayed in the background and the, there was a general manager and, and a head coach. No, today you have to have the owner's involvement 100% if you're going to have an excellent team or a championship caliber team. Okay, and Pat Riley's ability to lead in that moment of time with that level of talent to me was an example of how it should be done now because you can't lead any other way in today because things are happening too fast. You know, you have social media, you have, you know, all of the, the way the games covered, the games reported. You have to lead from above. And Pat sure. Riley, and they're already they're they're already projecting who they want to draft. They're already projecting and, absolutely and talking and about free agents, all of that. So so, uh, you I know you don't love when I do this, but I'm I'm putting you on the spot right now. Is Luke Walton yes. the coach of the Lakers next season? I don't see why he wouldn't be. Looking at the team, I don't see why he wouldn't be. Because the player, how are you going to coach a team? the way the team is presently constructed. And I'm just looking at it from an executive. I'm looking at it as from an agent. I'm looking at it as a, as a player. I'm looking at it as an owner. What are your expectations to have one player who is under contract for four years, the, the, the other key component, the key players, are all under a rookie-scale contract, and then you have veteran players who are all on one-year deal. What do you expect? How, how are you coaching that team? Where's the commitment? Now, who, who's committed here to doing what? I, I don't know what you're expecting from Luke Walton or any coach, and I think any coach will tell you that. That's a very difficult place to be. Now, I get it that the player that was acquired in, in, in you know, he was acquired in free agency raises the expectations, but what are you really expecting here? And I, I don't think that's a recipe for success in any situation, I think any coach or any executive would tell you that. Maybe not on record, but here we got to keep it. We got to tell it like it is. That's a very sure. difficult place to put a coach. Yeah. So it is, and and and, and, and not only not only not only that from last season. Real quick, not only that from last season that position, but with what you just said, the young talent and then the one year deals going into next season, it's LeBron James, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, uh, Mo Wagner. Kyle Kuzma and Josh Hart. That that okay. those are your players that you know have a ch can play a bit that are on the team. So you're looking at an entirely reconstructed roster again. This is so if you know that going in it's very difficult to coach a player, especially a veteran player, okay? Here's an unwritten rule in the NBA. You have a veteran Talk player. Talk to me. Talk to me. You, Talk to you, me. You, you have a veteran player. He's on the last year of his deal. You want to give him every opportunity to continue doing what he's doing. And I'm not going to sit him out or, or not play him as a veteran. Just out of respect. You've been in the league seven, eight years, and we not win. So if you're not winning and you're not playing that veteran player, Okay, now what's really going on? You can't do that. It's just an unwritten rule. So Luke Walton has been placed under duress, if you will, because he has rookies that he has to develop. Okay, Brandon Ingram and Kuzma 
look like they're going to be really nice players someday, but they're not finished products now. Nope. Okay, their best basketball is ahead, so he's trying to develop. Then he has all of these veteran players who are all on one-year deals, which he's trying to give them the respect. They're trying to help him win games. And, and play for their next contract. And play for their next contract. Then we have another player who's a superstar player who's carrying the burden of he has to win now. Then you have, you know, all of these things, and he's trying to get a mix of players. Then, he's, then he gets Tyson Chandler, and how do you get him in? And then Zubak came out of nowhere, and he started developing. So I, it was just so much going on, and everything is being magnified because of one player. It's not because yep. of, like, three or four players. So, again, I think this is a very teachable moment that we have to really take a look and, and look at ourselves and say, what are we trying to do here? Because the young players that we are drafting in this league, all of these young players, all of these young players, we have to admit as executives, they're not ready to perform. They have great potential, but they're not ready to perform yet. That's always two, three, four years down the line. And unfortunately, we have a player, for better or for worse, who is in the now of his career. He doesn't have two, three, four years out. No. So this yep. is the problem that Luke Walton is trying to juggle with these players. How else is Brandon Ingram and Kuzman going to learn if they're not playing or learning in the game? We can work out For and sure. do all these things. Our, we, can, we can say all of that, you know, workout guys and developmental guys. That sounds great. The truth of it is the best way it's been explained to me as an executive now is that you have to give these guys unconditional playing time. Unconditional playing time is the only way that they will actually learn because they have to get games played. That's the only place you will actually learn. I can shoot 2,000 shots. I can go in the gym today and shoot 2,000 shots and make 1,500 easily. I can do that today as 51 years of age. The problem is I can't do that in the game. So these guys need game experience and game shots, game, you know, uh, mistakes in order to learn so that they can get to the point where they can be coached because they know the difference between right and wrong. That's the problem of the NBA today. So speaking of game experience and being on the court, as everybody knows, the Lakers shut down LeBron James for the season. Load management, groin injury. It's understandable because even though he is Superman, his career is on a clock and they have to protect their investment, which makes sense. But the other side of that is you have fans in L.A., you have fans in opposing cities who have spent their money on tickets solely to watch this guy play. And now he is not going to be in uniform on the floor for those dates the rest of the season where do you sit with this issue as i feel like it's definitely getting more and more serious in terms of the way the nba is looking at it for the future fans are buying tickets to see the best of the best play and then these guys could play but they're not because of the reasons i stated you know sometime with information you learn things and then you base your decisions on the information that you have available. As an ex-player, this information that we have about the stress and the 
whether it's mental stress, physical stress that we were putting on our bodies back then just wasn't available as it is today. Now with the information becoming available and we can see and to some with 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 all of the the the, the analytics and evaluation of information we can say things like you know load management we can say things like you know these players need rest which we see i understand both sides i understand now that if you have the information and it shows you how and why your player is more susceptible to injury because of all of the information and technology that we have available to us, I totally get it. I agree with that. I also understand the attitude of the fans. They may only, this may be the only time that they'll ever see you, and you have a responsibility to go out there and play. I get that as well. I don't have an answer, Eric, because when you look at the numbers, you understand why these young men shouldn't play because the numbers give you a great argument of, of you exposing yourself to injuries and why this is good, okay? But I also understand Underst- the other part. Uh, understood. And I definitely understand my attitude was if I can play, I'm going to play. It wasn't always the smartest thing to do because now I have information that it wasn't available to me 25 years ago. And, yes, I'm one example to, yeah, I didn't have a career-ending injury, but knowing now, if I would have known that back then, maybe I would have made a different decision. But we just didn't have the information available to us. So I don't have an answer for this, but definitely science has improved so much that we have to take this into account, and I don't really have an answer for it because I I see both sides. Should should the NBA step in? I mean, should my my concern is the fans, right? So, you're a you're you're a you're a, a father of two kids. You want to, you you put your money into saying, all right, we're gonna go see LeBron James play the first week of April, in wherever Dallas, Atlanta, wherever it is. He's not playing. Like, is there a case that that fan should get their money back? Well, uh, again, I I think we have to look at. I think it's more complicated than just saying getting your money back or what have you. I, I Look, for instance, um, they have this measuring that they do with the players that when you're, when you're, when you're fatigued, you know, let's say you're the, just say, let's say the, the green zone, if you will, the playing zone is between, you know, three and five. That's the green. That's the safe zone. Let's say the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the red zone, because of the management or the fatigue of your muscles, which protect you from injury, right? You know, if, let's say mm-hmm. the, the red zone is, is seven and nine. Now, let's say Eric played last night. Eric is great. We measure Eric today, and Eric is in the seven and nine. Eric goes, I mean, I feel great. We go, well, Eric, when your muscles are fatigued, you, you, you expose yourself to 80% injury which could result in let's say an ACL now Eric what are you gonna do you feel great right you feel great but now we definitely have the science we have the numbers to show how this happened when it happened even though you're telling me right now you feel good enough to play now what do you do what do you do 
Yeah, no, I listen. I'm from the uh, I'm from I'm from the Bruce Bernstein and B.J. Armstrong school of hard knocks. Yeah, I'm, I, Eric, I'm, pl- I'm I'm playing, but I get it. No, I get it. I, I'm not saying Eric. That back then, when you were tired, they told you to you got to just work through it. Now we know, for the most part. Now we know working what's exposing through it can these cause injury, yeah, causing injury. Career-ending injuries. Yep. Most of these injuries, like ACLs and things, they're having no one's around them. It's just because they're fatigued. If the muscles are fatigued, it exposes you to an injury. No one wants to see that. I don't know, Eric. I, I don't. I, I I get it. I understand it. But at the same time, Eric, it is. It's something now that we have to be aware of. We have to be aware of. You know, things happen, and. The last thing we want to see is someone have a career-ending injury, right? You know, last thing you want to see is that. That's the last thing you want to see. So I don't know the solution, but what I do know is that now we have science to support that, you know what, we have to have a different way to look at this. I don't know. Do you reduce the games? Do you stop all back-to-backs? I don't know what the solution should be, but whatever it is – we know that we have the way to find out a way to keep our players and our most valuable assets, which is the health of our players in this league, um, to keep them at least in a way that gives them every opportunity to perform at their highest peak so that the product and the the people are paying. They want to see the product perform at its highest as well. So I think everyone is trying to work through that as now we have the information to look at. For sure. It's a situation that I think the NBA is going to look at closely and uh, take their time, utilize the science to figure out. Another thing that we're figuring out here at Pure Hoops Media is how we're growing the team. Monica McNutt, she debuts her show next week. Monica, what do you got? Hey, Pure Hoops fans. I'm Monica McNutt, and I'm pumped to announce my podcast rolling out April 11th, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. We're going to do it every Thursday. Hopefully, we'll have some conversations with your favorite hoopers. We'll get to their journey in the game, what makes it special, why they love the game, all of that good stuff. So please check it out. It's Buckets, Boards, and Blocks rolling out on April 11th every Thursday. Very excited for uh, the debut of Monica McNutt's show, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, next week. And BJ will have a chance to talk to her soon. She is uh, she is quite a basketball talent and persona, uh, as are the streaking Utah Jazz, as predicted by our producer, Bruce Bernstein. The Jazz have won 9 of 10. And they are potentially setting themselves up for a matchup with the Portland Trailblazers in the first round, who, of course, are going to be without uh, Yusuf Nurchic, who uh, is out for the season, unfortunately, uh, for Portland, who sustained that unfortunate injury. And we all know that while Enos Cantor can uh, hit the boards and score a little bit, uh, he is defensively challenged. So... This sets up the Jazz, BJ, really nicely. And, of course, if you're in that four spot and you get out of the first round, the one seed is waiting for you, which is likely going to be the Warriors. I think it's safe to say the Golden State Warriors would rather not see a team like the Jazz in the second round. 
Well, let's just be very specific. You don't want to see Rudy Gobert because Rudy Gobert is a game changer, especially in the playoffs as the game slows down. He can rim protect with the best of them. You know, he is a – every year he is a defensive – you know, he's right there for the defensive player of the year. And what he does to the game, he, you, you, you have to be aware of him. You have to be aware of him as an offensive player, and he can change the game. So Rudy Gobert, to me, is a, is a, is a, is a difference maker. And they have some great young players. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, they have, you, you know, Ingles, Rubio. They have veteran players now that are seasoned. They're battle-tested. And they, they have some depth there. And um, I really like their team. I like what they do. It's a, it's, a, it's a great crowd. It's a tough crowd up there in Utah. So, you yeah. know, it's always going to be tough. And... Um, you know, and this kid, Donovan, can play in the chaos. When the offense fails, he can go get you a bucket. And he I, thrives and like, in it. Yeah, some, some players can do that. And he is one of those players that he can play with five seconds or less in the shot clock, okay? And he can go get a shot. And they It's have funny. It's funny. He's, he's, sorry to cut you off. He's exactly what Denver needs in one of their guards. And they don't, well, they don't have – we like Murray and Harris, but he's not, they're not Mitchell. But I, I love Utah's balance. And what you were saying is with the, the aggressiveness of Mitchell and the guys that surround him on the floor, many of which can, can knock down perimeter shots, um, they're, they're very formidable. Well, well, Eric, let's talk a little playoff basketball here. If you're a great team or you're a good team, you're one of the top eight teams, you're going to take away the first option. If you're a really good team, you're going to take away the second option. If you're a really, really good team like the Warriors, you're going to take away the first, second, and third option, which is going to force you to go into the chaos, which is, okay, I'm going to take away all these open shots. I'm going to take away the traditional screen, and you're not going to hit the roll guy. I'm going to take away the guy that you're going to kick. So now what are you going to do? There aren't many players who can play that game. Donovan Mitchell is one of those players. Yep. which is a problem, okay? Because in the playoffs, I'm going to take away something. So all of the stuff that we're doing because we're running a nice offense and we're doing those things, that's going to be taken away against the good teams in this league. They're, that's why they're good. They can take away the first, second, third option. The great players sure. can play after you take away everything. They can just go get it. They can just go good defense, just better offense. You know, some of those players, the Kevin Durants, the Steph Currys, the James Hardens, Donovan Mitchells, Russell Westbrooks, you know, Giannis, those guys can just go get it. It doesn't matter. Kyrie Irving, it doesn't matter what they're doing. Now, they do a nice job. When I say they, Utah does a very nice job of playing within their offense and then allowing Donovan the, the flexibility or they give him a little leeway to where he can play outside of the system because he does a great he, – he is a terrific decision-maker more than anything mm -hmm. to me as a young player because not only does he create shots for himself, he, he'll make the right pass. And I, and I love that, and that's really hard to do as a young player. So he is a special talent in that regard because what he was able to do last year in the playoffs speaks volume. I mean, he was terrific yeah. last year against but, the Oklahoma City Thunder. He was great uh, in his decision Absolutely. Making. And the other side of that is defensively, they have a real identity. They have size. They have versatility. They have guys like 
Jay Crowder and Thabo Cephalosha, who are going to get up into you. Obviously, Rudy Gobert on the back line. Derek Favors just hitting people in the lane. They're 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 formidable. They're they're really they're a really good. I'm going to say this here. I'm going I'm going to go out on a limb and say this here. If okay. someone is going to li- beat the I'm Warriors, I'm listening. I'm listening. If someone is going to beat the Warriors this year. You you're going to get them in the second round of the playoffs. Okay, you, it, the first round you're not going to get them because their 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 antennas are going to be up. If you're going to get them, it's going to be in the second round. Because, you know, the first round is here and everything calms down. And then you, you know, they can have – that's the, the second round is to me is always where you kind of, you know, you're bumped up a little bit. Now the games are going because of television every other day. If, you're, if, they're going, if someone's going to beat the Warriors this year, it's going to be in the second round. If you don't get them in the second round, they're not going to lose in the conference finals because they're too close to knowing what they can, what they can accomplish to get to the finals. The second round is the only place I see someone beating them. If they get to the conference finals, their antennas are up. Once they get to the finals, I think they win it. So, BJ, in the world of 10-day contracts, we see guys coming out of nowhere to get an opportunity. We also see guys added to teams to provide depth. Greg Monroe, who spent last season with the Celtics during their playoff run, started the year with Toronto, was waived was then on a 10-day contract with the Celtics recently and then was just picked up by Philadelphia on a 10-day. But he's not eligible for the playoffs because of the March 1st cutoff. So is this move by Philadelphia straight for Intel for them in case they're facing the Celtics or the Raptors in the playoffs? If you don't know what the Celtics are doing by now, you'll never know. (laughs) Okay? Okay, when you get to the playoffs, the detail in which these teams are being scouted and all the intel that you need by your advanced scouts and tape and all that stuff, is there any doubt what what play they're going to run at the end of the game? I think we all know Kyrie Irving is going to have that ball in some form or fashion. We are going to bypass going back to the 90s this week because we'll have plenty of that as we talk playoff memories uh, during this year's NBA playoffs. But last week's Elite Eight games to get to the Final Four, to me, were just absolutely thrilling. And, um, you know, small world, and you know, I've been lucky enough to be in and around um, New York City basketball for uh, a long time. And, um, you know, out of the blue recently, I got a message from, um, you know, the, the father of one of the, the Virginia guards, Ty Jerome, who's from New York. And we, we caught up recently. And um, just hearing about the experience that these kids have taken um, you know, obviously Virginia is very specific. They have gone now full circle, losing to a 16 seed, and now the next season coming back and going to the Final Four. But I, I, I wanted to quickly gauge your thoughts on um, the Final Four. And yeah, it may not be the most exciting matchups and sexiest teams, but all these teams have been on a unique, unique journey and just wanted to get your reaction to seeing these games last weekend and seeing who ended up in the final four and, and anything that, uh, that stood out to you. Well, it's always a very special moment for these kids 
when they play for their programs. And it's a, it's a special tournament because of the high intensity of every game, every possession. And really, if, you know, if you play well for 40 minutes, you advance. You know, you just try to advance. And, and it always breaks down to three little two-game tournaments, right? And now, obviously, this is the, the last round, if you will, of the Final Four. And, and you have four, you know, you have uh, was it Auburn, Texas, A&M, right, is one of the teams. Virginia, is Virginia in there? And Texas, uh, Texas Tech, Texas, Texas Tech, Tech, Michigan Tech, yeah, Texas State, State, Virginia, and, and Auburn. Yes. And Auburn, yeah. And so th- it makes it special for them and it's special for the program. And you love the, the intensity of, you know, when you see a Tom Izzo, you see the intensity that these these young men are playing with. And, and um, you know, but when it, all, it always comes down to, you know, it, you have to put together a complete game. And even more so in college because you know what these these they're 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 college kids they're not professionals in the sense that you know they get a chance to make an adjustment in a seven game series you know they just have a have to have a good game one good game allows you to move to the next moment which allows you to have an opportunity to make or miss a shot so you know i applaud all of these teams it's been great theater the the emotion and you know, I'm always pulling for my Iowa Hawkeyes, but you know what? We lost in in the second round. Um, but you know what? This is what makes it. This is make what's college sports great, and uh, it's a lot of fun, a lot of excitement, and and uh, I'm just as excited to watch this weekend to see who's going to win as any, and and uh, it should be it should be a good a good weekend of basketball. So, are you Big Ten loyal throughout the tournament when Iowa I, is I'm no big, longer playing? Yeah. I'm a Big Ten guy, so you know yeah. Michigan State. You know I, I'm I'm pulling for I'm I'm pulling for Michigan State this weekend. As uh, as am I. I'm pulling for a Michigan State Virginia final. As uh, I'll credit myself, I picked Michigan State to beat Duke, as I believe in uh, veteran play at the college level, and uh, Duke has incredible talent, but they don't have a floor general like uh, Cassius Winston, and he was. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah he, he, he really – he was terrific versus Duke. I mean, he put together a floor game, and that's always yep. big in college basketball. You have to be able to manage the game. And, you know, that kid being a Detroit kid from the University of Detroit up there, and, and uh, he played great. He uh, – but he's done it all year. I mean, he's a Big Ten player of the year. He's put together a really nice, nice year for them, and he's performed in big moments. And I thought he was the difference in the game. Yeah, and on the Virginia side, the, the combination of Jerome and, and Guy in the backcourt, and obviously they got huge moments and plays from, from multiple players, but it, it's just incredible at the college level watching these backcourts control games. And, you know, I have memories of watching, you know, and I'm sure you play. Actually, I don't know if you played against him. Did you play against Sherman Douglas in college? Because he's – one of the yeah. guys that I always flash back to when you're talking about floor game and you're talking about floor generals. Did you play against Cuse uh, when you were at Iowa? Um, we did not play against Syracuse in college. They were in the Big East. Uh, they were in the Big East end. I think they're in the ACC now. Yeah, but there but was there was never a uh, there was never a non-conference matchup. Never a non never a non-conference uh, game uh, that we were able to play. But I played against him in high school, um, and he was. 
He was a terrific player. He had a very unorthodox game. Um, you know, he had this like I don't know. I don't know if it was a floater or a push shot or whatever it is that he used to it's do. A shot, it was a shot put. Shot put. Yeah, I don't know what it was, but he's very unorthodox. But he could really manage a game. He was a terrific point guard. Uh, he was gutsy, he toughness, and he, you know, he had, he 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 was doing the alley oop before we, you know, he was, whether it was with Derek Coleman or Ronnie Cycli, and you know, he was really crafty the way he played and had a great, you know, professional career. And obviously, I played against him many times as a pro. Um, but he was really, really a good player. Yeah, that was my first. That Indiana Syracuse final was the first one that was like crystal clear watching and remembering and just being glued to the drama of that game in uh, in 1987. And hopefully, we'll have more magic uh, this weekend, Saturday night, the uh, semifinals and uh, pure hoops. Adam Stanko has done a marvelous job with our NCAA content. So uh, for those of you out there looking to get some quick hit previews, check them out on purehoopsmedia.com and check out our quick hitters feed uh, wherever you get your podcast. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Episode 12, Pure Hoops podcast in the books. Thank you as always to my partner, BJ Armstrong. And, of course, Bruce Bernstein, Jeff Torini, and the whole Pure Hoops crew. Got some exciting stuff coming up next week. Monday for the Mike Wise Show, Howie Schwab will join Mike to preview the national championship game on Monday night. And the legendary Harvey Arrington will join Mike as well to talk about his new book, Elevated, The Global Rise of the NBA, which is, from what I've heard, a fascinating read and on my must-read list. Wednesday will be Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko. And Thursday will be the debut of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with the one and only Monica McNutt joining the Pure Hoops Media family. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll catch you soon. The Pure Hoops Podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.